So I want to start by showing you a picture. I'm giving you a, a glimpse into something in my garage. As you can see, it's got a few years on it. This is my Coke machine. It's, uh, it needs a little cleaning, um, and, uh, but it's, it's been, it's a Windows 63, and I looked up the model number and the serial number, and these were made from 1959 to 1966. I've had it for 12 years now. Uh, so at best, it was made in 1966. So that would put it at uh, 55 years old. Is my math right there? Somebody check me. At most, that would mean that it's about 62 years old. To my knowledge, the motor has never been replaced. Um, the, uh, the, I mean, it, it runs just as well today as when I got it 12 years ago. I'm sure some repairs have been made on it, but I haven't done anything to it in the past 12 years except move it from Birmingham to Scottsboro to here. And uh, every, every year, at least once a year, we go to St. Louis. Mandy's got some family in Missouri, and there is a place called Fitz Bottling Company in St. Louis. Um, those are, there's, we've got a few folks from, from Missouri, and that's about the only place in the Midwest around there you can get. They have the best root beer you've ever had in your life. It is top-notch. They've got all different flavors. They have cream soda, orange grape, black cherry, strawberry, uh, their version of Mountain Dew, peach. They've even got a coffee flavor that I don't care for, but, you know, some people like. I mean, and at Thanksgiving, you can even get pumpkin flavor, but you can only get it around there. And every year, we either go at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and I spend more than I should stocking up on fits, and I come home, and I load that thing up, and, and every time, it gets some ice cold. So for 12 years for me, uh, 50 some odd years overall, this thing still runs. And you've probably had appliances like that, right? Those old, you know, uh, those, those green and, and whatever those colors were. We had one of those refrigerators that lasted until my teen years, I think, you know, that my parents inherited from their parents, that kind of thing. On the other hand, so this thing just keeps running, right? It just keeps going. On the other hand, Last week, not this past week, but week before, we had a washing machine that's probably less than 10 years old break and flood our laundry room. We like things, I like things that are dependable. How about you? That work. Not things that tear up and cause you bigger problems. If you'll notice, this picture is pretty close because my garage is a mess because of our laundry room right now. So I tried to take a close shot there. But uh, we like things that are dependent, whether it's appliances, whether it's cars uh, or people. We like things and people who are dependable. And that's essentially when we're talking about faithfulness. Dependability is another word for faithfulness, and that's what we're going to talk about. That flavor of fruit this morning, the flavor of faithfulness in our series called Fruit Gushers, where we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And the theme of our series is that the fruit of the Spirit flows in us from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it flows out of us for the advancement of the gospel and to the glory of God. This is about authentic Christian living, being like Christ in the world around us, displaying the characteristics of Christ in order to point people to Him, to live as He did, to glorify Him, and to point people to Him. Uh, and so we're going to look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23 again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, <coughs> excuse me, kindness, goodness. We've talked about all of those. Today we look at faith or faithfulness. Faithfulness 
gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Now, if you were to grab a concordance and do a quick search for the word faithfulness, you would see some 60-some-odd references to faithfulness as it relates to faithfulness of God specifically. And we think about that and think about the absolute, we should think about the absolute necessity of God's faithfulness in our lives, why that is so very important, why there are so many references to it in God's Word. And the reason is because it's so important, but why is it so very important? In what ways is it vital? Well, let's look at some examples. We're just going to start this morning before we get into uh, the outline of our message today. We're just going to look at the faithfulness of God and, and how, that, how we relate to that, how we are dependent upon that. For one thing, we're dependent upon His faithfulness for our salvation, to be saved. Um, we look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8, 8 and 9. He will also be strengthened uh, he will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Uh, you who were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He, God, it's God's faithfulness um, that it's because of his faithfulness that he saved us. He promised that he would provide a way for redemption. Um, he had a plan for salvation, and he has and is fulfilling that plan for salvation. He's called us. It's not because of anything we did. It's because of his goodness, his mercy, his grace. He called us into a relationship with him. So we're dependent upon his faithfulness for our salvation. Uh, from deliverance, from temptation, we need his strength, his faithfulness. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He's called you into this relationship. He's going to give you what you need to serve him and to succeed in his plan for you. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are, not able, so that you are able to bear it. It's his faithfulness that he calls us into a relationship, and through his faithfulness, because of his faithfulness, he provides what we need to escape temptation, uh, to fight temptation. We also depend on his faithfulness for ultimate sanctification. We're justified by faith, uh, the grace of God, but then we begin the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus each day. And it's because of his faithfulness in continuing to work on us that we become sanctified. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who sanctifies us, and he is faithful to do so. We are dependent upon his faithfulness for the forgiveness of our sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's promised to forgive us, and he does. He forgives us when we confess our sins. He's faithful to do that. For deliverance through times of suffering, God is faithful during all times, but we look to him with great dependence in those times of suffering, and he is faithful. 1 Peter 4, 9, For those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. We can trust in God. He is faithful and true. Uh, life can be difficult. Life can be tough, as many of you know. Um, but those of you who have looked to the Lord in those difficult times, you have experienced his faithfulness. Not that it's easy, not that it makes pain easier to deal with or makes pain go away, suffering go away, but the faithfulness of God is sweet in those times of suffering. We trust him for the fulfillment of our ultimate hope of eternal life, the assurance we have, the promise 
of salvation is that we will spend eternity with our Creator in heaven. And in Hebrews 10.23 we read, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He will deliver on his promise to come again and receive us, to take us home, to be with him. Every aspect of the Christian life rests on the faithfulness of God. And we have the assurance that the Lord is faithful to his promises, as we read in Psalm 145.13. And it's no wonder that the psalmist, when he's thinking about the faithfulness of God, says this in Psalms 118. Verses 1 through 2, I will sing about the, the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth, for I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. Even Jeremiah, when he's lamenting over the condition of Judah, he says in the midst of all of God's punishment, of all that's going on, he says, great is your faithfulness. God continues to be faithful even in those times of judgment, even, though, even when he's disciplining us for things that we've done wrong. He's faithful in his discipline because he loves us, because he wants to correct us. He continues in his faithfulness. And when he pronounces judgment, he's faithful to follow through with that judgment. It's the faithfulness of God. The theme of God's faithfulness runs throughout scripture. And here is the beautiful truth that should bring us comfort. God's faithfulness is not based on our feelings. It is based on the fact of scripture. We know that he is proclaimed faithful. He has proved faithful by the testimony of Scripture, and we can experience His faithfulness in our lives. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like God is present, right? Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is listening. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is going to rescue me from whatever it is that I'm dealing with, but I can look to the Word of God. And if I believe that the Word of God is true and infallible and perfect, I can trust in the faithfulness of God because it's not based on my feelings. It is based on who he is and who he has revealed himself to be through his word. Everything in our lives as believers centers on the faithfulness of God and him being who he says he is and continuing to do what he says he's going to do. So if we want to be like God, what do we need to be? We need to be faithful, right? This is another flavor of fruit and we need to display the flavor of faithfulness in our lives. But it's not natural. Let's be honest. We are selfish individuals. All of us, some more than others, but we are all selfish. Our sin nature. And we want to do what we want to do. And sometimes other people's needs or promises that we make or whatever the case may be may interfere with that in our schedules. So uh, we look at Proverbs 26. We see this. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? A lot of people say they are faithful, but few actually demonstrate that faithful, faithfulness. But if I'm a godly person, this is something that I'm going to strive for. This is something that I'm going to want to be faithful. So what is it? What is faithfulness? Well, if you look at the word faith, and in the Holman, the word faith is used here, and it is the root in the word faithfulness. And so it is just a, another form of the word and uh, with a unique meaning. But still, I, we have to look at the word faith to really understand 
what faithfulness means. And faith is used three different ways in Scripture. One is that we're saved by faith, right? Faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of God, but we're saved. Now, we're saved by grace. There's nothing we do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do uh, to make ourselves acceptable to God. It is His grace. It is a gift, but faith is the way that we appropriate that gift. We accept that gift by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins and that He was raised from the dead and lives today. And he is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And so through faith in Christ, we receive salvation. God desires that all men be saved, but only those who believe and receive him through faith will experience that salvation. So we're saved by faith, and then we live by faith, right? So Ephesians 2, 8, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Each day we trust in the Lord, we submit to the Lord, we walk believing in the promises of God, depending on Him, submitting to Christ, uh, the, the Holy Spirit working in and through us to accomplish and to, to exhibit, to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. We, we, we're called to action by Jesus, to do things, to step out in faith, and so we walk by faith every day. And then we come to the meaning in Galatians 5.22, the meaning of faithfulness. The biblical word gives the idea that faithfulness is the characteristic of someone who is firm and, be, and can be counted upon. Matter of fact, Webster's Dictionary defines faithfulness as firm adherence to promises and observance of duty. So it's someone who is firm and can be counted upon. That's who God is. And so if I'm going to display the character of faithfulness in my life, that is what I'm going to be. Attitude and actions. These are attitude and actions that have, been, that have an obedient staying power to the Lord and his word that will not quit, stop, or take a detour. It is faithful firm adherence to God's commands and to his instructions and to what we say we will do. And this is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5.22. Last week, we looked briefly at Daniel, talking about Daniel's goodness and how those who came against him could find no fault. Uh, there, were no, there were no chinks in his armor. How many of us could say that, right? But his enemies looked for anything they could find to come against him, to bring charges against him and could find nothing. He was good and he was righteous. But we can also say that he was faithful. And we look again at Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. We'll look at Daniel this morning. The administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They wanted to find anything they could. And we know ultimately they couldn't, so they came up with this idea that no one could pray to, to anyone but the king and Daniel refused to do that. He prayed, continued to pray to Jehovah, and he was thrown in the lion's den, but God rescued him. But they were trying, trying, trying to find something to bring against him. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. And so that we can say he was faithful. I mean, even his enemies couldn't find anything to bring against him. And so those words, corrupt, negligent, if we look at the opposite of those words, we look at the life of Daniel, the life of others in Scripture, the life of Christ, we can see for ourselves what it means to be faithful in our daily lives. And one thing that it means is honesty. Faithfulness is honesty. We, Daniel was not corrupt. He was honest. He was ethical. He was principled. Absolute honesty in speech and in personal affairs has to be a hallmark of a faithful person. Now listen, all of these things, none of us are perfect in them, okay? These, this is what we strive for and what the Holy Spirit will perfect in us as we are sanctified. But it's still the standard 
isn't it? I mean, God's standard is still perfection. It is still complete righteousness. And so we are all a work in progress, but we still strive for complete and total honesty in our lives. The scripture tells us this in Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Proverbs 11, 1, dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. So the Lord detests lying and abhors dishonest business practices. It, it, he dishor, abhors dishonesty, period. Not only are we commanded not to lie, we are also commanded not to deceive in any way. Look at Leviticus 19.11. You must not steal. You must not act deceptively or lie to one another. Another um, Bible study source, I found a, a definition for lying, and here it is. Lying is any deceit in word, act, attitude, or silence. Any deliberate exaggeration in distortions of the truth or in creating false impressions. Well, that covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? But it's complete and total authenticity, complete and total honesty before God and before others. We lie or deceive when we pretend to be something we're not. A student cheats on a test, that's, that is lying, that is deceptive. It's cheating, right? Someone doesn't report all their income, cheats on their taxes, that's dishonest practices, right? A dishonest business practice, or, or maybe somebody fudges on their resume just a little bit to get that job, you know, beefs it up just a little more than is accurate. That's dishonest practices. Exaggerate, manipulate the facts in order to get their way, or seem uh, or, or just, you know, tell little white lies because it's convenient, right? Because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. All of those seem, things seem harmless, maybe, but they're all examples of dishonesty, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how you look at it, and it probably seems like we're being nitpicky here, and I guess we kind of are, but still the standard is perfection. And all of us are going to struggle in one or more of these areas because we're all imperfect, and I, like you, have struggled with some or more, more than one of these areas in my life. But again, we're reaching for the, per, the standard. We're looking for perfection each and every day. And it seems like, although we look at these things and think, wow, this is more than any of us can handle, which is true, it seems like Daniel had perfected this in his life. I'm sure he wasn't a perfect individual. He's flawed just like you and me. But at least in this area... I mean, don't you know that if those, if there were, if there were any dishonest practices or anything like that, that those enemies would have found that? Because all they could do was come up with something to trap him. They couldn't find it. The scripture says anything. He was completely honest, completely truthful, completely authentic. He was who he said he was. He was a man of integrity. He had mastered the issue of absolute integrity. Now think about that. What an amazing goal. To shoot for. Uh, men as leaders of our families, leaders in the church, ladies, students, uh, mastering absolute integrity. That should be our goal. Daniel had done that. Think about Jesus. One day he asked his enemies, can any one of you prove me guilty of sin? Now, that's a dangerous question, right? Um, and if he had sinned at all, don't you know, they would have been able, they would have been on top of it. Uh, they accused him of a lot of things, but no sin because he was perfect. He had been completely perfect. And again, we're not Christ. We're not perfect, but that's, he's our example. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become more like him every day. 
Why go into such detail about this? Well, because it's important. If we're careful to be honest in the little things, then we will be honest in the big things. If, uh, Jesus said this in Luke 16, 10, whoever is faithful in, in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is ri- unrighteous in very little is also unri- unrighteous in much. Honesty is a desperate need in our world, in our society, both in business and in social life. Um, we, need, we don't know what to believe anymore, do we? I mean, you can't believe any of the headlines. You can't believe anything that you read. It seems like we crave honesty in our world. I read about an article in one of the leading business journals of the day that, that someone who was in business said this, said that it's impossible to succeed in business without compromising the truth. I think that is prevalent in more than just business in our society, sports, politics, I mean, you name it, everywhere. People feel that way because there's so much dishonesty in our world. We desperately need honesty in our world today. And as Christians, we are called to be salt in a decaying society. And one of the ways that we do that is through honesty. A second characteristic of faithfulness is dependability, being dependable. That's kind of uh, a big part of the word as we see it here in Galatians 5.22. Daniel was neither corrupt nor negligent. He was reliable and dependable. People could count on him. You got the idea that Daniel kept his appointments. He was on time for his appointments. He kept his word, and he considered how his actions might affect other people. He was a man of integrity. I mean, he, he just was who he said he was. He did what he said he was going to do. And again, he had mas- somehow he had mastered this, which is amazing. You know, a few things are, are, are more irritating than someone that you can't depend on. Solomon said this in Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. So the slacker is to the one, is to the one who sends him on an errand. That, that word slacker is really talking about somebody who's habitually lazy. Some of your versions may say lazy. That's another way to translate it. But think about it. The lazy person, it's his unfaithfulness that causes you frustration, right? He promises you the world, but doesn't follow through on anything. He doesn't keep his commitments, and that's what makes him so frustrated. If you're having to depend on that guy, then you're going to be frustrated, right? And that's what, what Solomon's talking about, and, and dependability, that's what we're talking about here in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and, and in today's society, we want people who are, de- I mean, in all, all of societies, all days, but especially in today's society, we are looking for people that are dependable, that can be counted on. We need people like that in our lives. But to be, dependability has taken a back seat in our society to, hey, me first, whatever I want. And if it inconveniences me or my schedule especially, then even if I said I'm going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Uh, it is a form of selfishness. For the person who is practicing godliness, dependability is a duty owed not only to other people, but more importantly to God. And here's the truth. Reliability or dependability is both a social obligation and a spiritual obligation. Yes, we should be dependable for others, but we should also, more importantly, be dependable to God, and that's why we want to be dependable to others. He's even more concerned with our faithfulness than the person who's relying on us. Psalm 15, 1, David said, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live in your holy mountain? And what follows that is a list of ethical standards in answer to that question that a person has to keep in order to enjoy God's fellowship. And in the middle of that, there is this standard. It's the person, verse 4, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord and who keeps his word, whatever the cost. God wants us to be dependable even when it costs us. And it can be costly. This is what distinguishes godly faithfulness from ordinary dependability in society, is that even if it costs 
Now, there's a, another picture I, I have this morning of, of Old Faithful. It's at Yellowstone Park. Uh, you may have been there before. I've never been there, but there's actually, I understand, a webcam. Don't pull it up right now. But you can go watch Old Faithful from your home. Um, you don't even have to make the trip, but, you know, it'd still be neat to do that. Every 90 minutes, around 90 minutes, hundreds of gallons of steaming, boiling water shoots up into the air, and it's like clockwork. It's called Old Faithful because it's dependable. It does it about every 90 minutes, uh, like clockwork, and has for years and years and years and years. National Geographic ran a story not too long ago about how Old Faithful is becoming less dependable, less faithful. That 90-minute interval is, is slowly getting longer and longer. And if you take that to its extreme, one day Old Faithful will not erupt anymore. That geyser will no longer spill over. Now, you know, none of us will be here to see that. But, again, Old Faithful is known for dependability, but even Old Faithful is not perfectly dependable. What in life is? Well, I'm thankful that God is completely dependable and totally faithful. We are imperfect. We are going to fail. With good intentions, fail. But God never fails. And day by day by day by day, if we trust in him, if we submit to him, he will perfect this in us. If we will submit to him, your faith and my faith will be tested. Our faithfulness is going to be tested. You can, you can bank on that. Times get tough stressful situations, but our faith can grow and our faithfulness can grow in the midst of testing if we'll depend on God. We have to be faithful to God regardless of our circumstances. We must also be faithful to others. It's called, it's required. During times of testing, at other times, we need God's grace. By God's grace, we can be faithful. And he, we need him to manifest this flavor of fruit, of faithfulness in our lives. And we also need to display loyalty. That's another aspect of this this meaning, this idea of faithfulness is loyalty. Loyalty to God and loyalty to each other. You know, what are some of the things, what's something you think of? I'm, I'm counting on somebody to give me the answer I'm looking for, but you just tell you, when you th there you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. Read, read my mind. We think of dogs when we think of loyalty, right? But not all dogs are loyal. We had a dog when we got married. The dog's name was Rufus. He was a dachshund. Rufus was a lot of things. Loyal was not really one of them. <laughs> Rufus would abandon you in a heartbeat. We had, uh, we had a piano tuner come to the house one time. It was a Wednesday night. It was the only time he could come. And, and so we arranged for him to get in while we were at church. And, and we warned him. We said, we got a dog, you know, and uh, we didn't keep him kennel or anything. So just watch out for the dog when you come in. He's not mean. He wasn't mean, but we just, you know, don't let him out or anything like that. Well, we get home. Piano tuner had been there a couple of hours, and, and we walk in, and we're like, so did the dog give you any troubles? He's like, what dog? I thought y'all took him with you. And we're like, no, we didn't take him. Turns out Rufus had been hiding under the bed the whole time. <laughs> that guy was there. I, I shudder to think what would have happened, you know, if somebody would have tried to hurt us. But he was, just, he was just not a loyal dog. Now, we have a dog now. His name is Pluto. It's Timmy's dog. And, and Pluto follows Timmy everywhere. I mean, that dog is the definition of loyalty. You know, I mean, he is, he is by his side the whole time. I mean, he is just, he's a good dog. He's a loyal dog. Some dogs are loyal. Some dogs are not loyal. Now, if you're going to be a believer, when it comes to Christians, when it comes to disciples, 
all disciples should be loyal, no matter what breed you are, okay? All of us should be loyal. That's a requirement for followers of Christ. The issue of loyalty comes up a lot in connection with our friends. We, are, we should be loyal to God, but we should be loyal to one another. A true friend is someone who sticks with you through thick and thin. It's, you've heard it said it's, it's the person who's running toward you when everybody else is running away from you, right? It's someone who sticks with you no matter what is going on. They don't justify you if you've done something wrong. They, they speak the truth in love, but they still they stand by you no matter what, through the good times and the bad. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for difficult times or adversity. There's no such thing as a fair-weather friend. You've heard that phrase. That's, that, that's a lie. It's deceiving because true friends stick with you through thick and thin, not just when times are good. If a person's loyalty doesn't ensure his faithfulness to his or her friend, then in times of stress or whatever the case, when times are difficult, then they're just using you for their own social needs, right? And when that becomes a hassle, they're going to move on to somebody else. It, it won't matter. All right, thick and thin. Think about Jonathan and David. We've talked about them before, not too long ago. We, we talked extensively about that relationship between Jonathan and David. Think about, I mean, David was loyal, and we saw that later on with Mephibosheth and him honoring his covenant, the promise he had made with Jonathan and with, before God. But think about Jonathan's side of that relationship, all right? Number one, his friendship with David almost cost him his life at the hands of his own father. But then later, and, and throughout it all, I mean, Jonathan knew that, his, that David, being God's anointed, would cost him ultimately the throne, which most likely meant, and then turned out to be, his life, because he, he did lose his life. But even with all of that, David's motivation was not, I mean, Jonathan's motivation was not himself and what he could, I mean, he could have been the king. I mean, you know, should have been in terms of, of his, him being an heir. But it, more importantly was his commitment to God and as a result, his commitment to David. And we see loyalty beautifully displayed in the life of Jonathan and in the life of David. And that relationship, a special relationship, it cost him though. And that's a reality. Faithfulness is usually a costly virtue, whether it, we're talking about honesty, dependability, or loyalty, but especially with loyalty. It can be costly if we're loyal, being willing to stick with others through thick and thin. There's a kind of loyalty, though. And listen, only the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to be loyal in this way. But there's a type of loyalty uh, that we should avoid, and that's blind loyalty. You know, we've got to be willing to speak the truth in love. And that's what I'm saying. We stick with people through thick and thin, but we don't justify everything that they do. Solomon tells us this in Proverbs 27, 6, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. You know, only the truly faithful friend cares enough to tell you and me where we've fallen short, to hold us accountable. And you need those people in your life that will speak truth to you, that you respect, that are spiritually mature, and you know that their desire is to see you grow. And that's why they're doing it. Loyalty speaks the truth in faithfulness, but it also speaks the truth in love. So how do we be faithful? How do we become faithful? Step number one in growing in faithfulness is to acknowledge the biblical standard. Again, I mean, like me, if you're like me, you go through this list and you can see several areas. Well, I need to work in that area a little bit, right? And all of these flavors. There are things we need to work on. 
I'm not standing before you as somebody who's perfected this. I'm standing before you as somebody who's being sanctified just like you, hopefully, each day growing in my relationship with Christ. And so we recognize the biblical standard, and it does not change. It is perfection. It is righteousness. It is holiness, just like Christ is holy. But we do recognize that, that, that faithfulness entails absolute honesty, utter dependability, and unswerving loyalty. It's being like Daniel, neither corrupt nor negligent. So develop convictions consistent with the Scripture in this area. That's what you need to do. Step number one, develop convictions uh, that are consistent. Uh, Plan to memorize verses on one or more verses a week on faithfulness. Take in the Word of God in this area and allow, allow it to cultivate. Allow Him to cultivate this in your life through His Word, the Holy Spirit. And then second, evaluate your life in submission to the Holy Spirit. Evaluate your life. Allow the Holy Spirit. If you have an accountability partner, ask, some, ask that person, somebody, a mentor that you respect, then ask that person to speak truth in, your, in this area of your life, into your life. Are there areas that I need to work on? Are there areas that you see me falling short that, that I need to submit to the Holy Spirit? Evaluate, allow the Holy Spirit to speak, And if you trust, if you have an accountability partner that you can trust, a mentor that you can trust that will help you do it. Max Lucado said this. This was his commitment. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their dad will not come home. That should be our commitment in the area of faithfulness. But here's the thing. You, You and I, we cannot do this on our own. Only by the power, the grace of the Holy Spirit can we be faithful. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. We have to have him working in and through us. We cannot do it on our own. Wherever you see a specific need of faithfulness in your life, immediately submit to the Lord. Immediately pray about about how can you take steps to improve and grow in this area. If we trust in the Lord, we submit to the Holy Spirit, and then we add to that concrete actions in order to improve in this area. Remember, it's both and, not either or. It's not just that I'm sitting back and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, make me faithful. It's, it's Holy Spirit, I need you to cultivate. Give me the strength. Give me the grace. Give me the power to do this. And now here, I'm going to take these concrete steps to test my faithfulness and to prove my faithfulness and to grow in the area of faithfulness. Both and, not either or. You cannot become a faithful person just by trying, and you cannot become a faithful person just by sitting back and doing nothing. It's both. Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, he said, be faithful even to the point of death. There's action involved. We have to be willing to act. We need to be faithful in every area of our lives, including to ourselves. Now, listen, I'm not talking about selfishness, self-centeredness, but there is a form of lack of faithfulness to ourselves that does harm. Here's what I'm talking about. Some believers suffer from self-inflicted wounds of being unfaithful to themselves. We harm ourselves when we're unfaithful to pray. We harm ourselves when we're unfaithful to be in God's Word. We harm ourselves when we're unfaithful to gather with God's people, to worship corporately and to serve corporately, to minister, to be ministered to. We harm ourselves when we are unfaithful to use the gifts and abilities that God has given us for His kingdom and His glory and in service of Him. These are areas, there are believers all over, maybe even in this room, we harm ourselves, self-inflicted wounds by being unfaithful to pray, to spend time in God's word, to spend time with God's people, and to use the gifts and abilities he's given us 
to serve him. Self-inflicted wounds, lack of faithfulness to ourselves, to God and ourselves. You know, the most difficult area of your life that you're going to find, and I have found being faithful, it's in the places that nobody knows about. Alone, in your heart, in your mind, where nobody else is except God. Those areas, being faithful in those places nobody sees. The little things, some of them big, but even in the little things, just my daily thoughts, the things that I listen to, the things that I take in, the things that I choose to dwell on, in the quiet places where no one else is, those are the difficult areas because we think we can get away with it. We can hide things from everybody except our Creator. He knows it all. Faithfulness in the small things. Small things lead to big things in the kingdom of God. In the parable of talents, the master says this, Well done, good and faithful slave. Matthew 25, 21. You were faithful over few thing, a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Faithfulness in the small things, things that no one else sees. Today's picture day. I have one more. Two more, actually, I think. This is, anybody ever seen this symbol? Anybody? All right. This is an Arabic symbol. It is the symbol uh, for the letter N or Nun. And here's what they use this symbol for in Arabic countries. All right. Specifically, most recently, very prevalent in Iraq. Uh, and, and what they do, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, the next picture shows this. They will mark your house with that symbol. Red paint is very common, but they will mark your house with that symbol. Now, this symbol, again, it is for the letter N. It signifies, it stands for Nasara or Nazarene. So what they are doing with these people is that they are going around, they go around, and if you are a follower of Christ, they mark your house to symbolize that you are a Nazarene. Now, why would they do that? Jesus of Nazareth right? So you are a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And when they mark your house with this symbol, here is what they are saying. Christians whose homes are marked, have been marked, have been given an ultimatum to convert, to pay a steep price, a tax, or to run away. Ultimatum, that's your choice. So there are people in these countries, again, Iraq, most recently, very prevalent, people in these countries that are being marked because they are known. And one of the articles I read said that they are being marked for their faithfulness because they are followers of Christ. And it is so evident in their lives. They don't want to hide it, but it's so evident in their lives that people are coming around and marking them and telling them, you've either got to denounce this, you've got to pay a tax, or you've got to flee. They are being marked for their faithfulness. Now, I saw this. As I was studying this week, I, I came across, I was listening to another pastor share this story, and I came across, and I looked it up myself, and I was, I, I mean, I, did, I didn't know this. I didn't know this until this week. And immediately, as I'm hearing him talk about this, and I'm, I'm, I'm under conviction in my own life, I'm thinking, in our world today, in my life, would anybody mark my house? Would anybody, would I be... Is, is my faithfulness in life evident enough to everybody around me that they would absolutely identify me as a faithful follower of Jesus of Nazareth? 
right? I mean, that, that's the question that we all need to ask. Daniel was faithful to the point to everybody in his life knew it. Jonathan, David, everybody. Jesus, of course, certainly. But would my house be marked because of my faithfulness? Because here's the reality. Jesus Christ, his head was marked, his hands, his feet, his back, his side were marked, was marked so that we could be free from sin and become a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. So the question is, is I, am I willing to be marked for my faithfulness regardless of what it costs me, regardless of whether I have to put my life on the line, regardless of whether I'm given the ultimatum of either denounce or flee or pay a severe price? Am I willing to be faithful regardless of the cost? But there's reward if I am. The reward that we just read and a few verses later is repeated in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. We can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. It may cost. It may be difficult. It may be painful. But faithfulness is what God requires. And faithfulness is what God rewards. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, your requirements are heavy. They are costly. They are beyond our abilities. None of us in our own power and strength have the ability to exhibit these flavors of fruit. And this is one of those difficult ones. In the busyness of our lives and the fast-paced schedules that we keep and the commitments that we have, it is almost impossible at times to keep them all. But that's what you require. You require us to be truthful, honest, dependable, loyal. You require us to trust you from day to day, to submit to you each day, to allow you to work in and through us, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it means in terms of our own physical safety. Lord, following you means that we give up our lives. We take up our cross daily. We count the cost. Yet we follow you anyway because what you have provided through salvation, through strength, through perseverance, through ability, through comfort, through assurance, through meaning, through purpose, through joy, through abundance, supersedes and transcends life's discomforts. Even if it causes us to lay down our lives, the life ahead, the life with you in eternity far outweighs anything we could achieve and attain in this life. It means that we have an eternal perspective that goes beyond the temporary and looks at the eternal constantly, always looking ahead, investing in eternity, looking forward and holding the present and the things of this world loosely so that we can be counted faithful, so that we can fulfill the purpose that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us strength from day to day. I pray that we would submit to you each day, truly making you Lord of our lives. And of course, we can't do that unless we've received that, that graced gift that we've talked about today, the gift of salvation that you provide through your death, Jesus, through your burial, through your resurrection, defeating sin and death. We have to, by faith, receive that gift of salvation. And I pray that if there's somebody here today who hasn't received that gift, that they would. But for those of us who are your followers, just search our hearts now. What are the areas of faithfulness that we need to improve on, that we need to work on? 
would our houses be marked with the symbol of Christ, the symbol that says we are followers? Is faithfulness evident in our lives? And if not, why? Lord, work in us, through us, mold us, shape us into your image. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?